Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very special mailbag episode of Inspiration Point. I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. Good evening. Good evening. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going pretty good. Uh, Yeah. I uh, briefly lost my mind and ordered myself a uh, salad for dinner tonight. Uh, And it's actually pretty darn good. It's the, uh, the Fuji apple salad from Panera and oh got the gorgonzola cheese and stuff in there so that's I like how you always plug something that's not sponsoring us you oh, know yeah. like hey <laughs> you know you're just like hey guys here's the newest thing to try yeah <laughs> i i i likes i likes what i likes <laughs> yeah I, sure i mean we can all be inspired from different sources including dinner that's right sometimes especially from dinner mm Mm. One might even say that this show is a salad of inspirational ideas. <laughs> yeah, probably nobody would say that. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sure there's someone who, you know, if they were drunk or something or I don't know. Um, let's see. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 too, enjoy healthy food from time to time. It's mm-hmm. it, it's nice. You know, it's it's good on the old system. It's it's just it's fresh. You don't feel like garbage after you finish it like it's it's nice like being able to i remember i had i had helped uh this uh former student of mine sell his work at comic-con a few years ago Mm -hmm. and he had uh well we we had eaten at the con like the whole time you know we i I would go downstairs and do the food run and it was you know we did this for like three days in a row and boy we just felt awful by the time it was over i remember we all stopped off at um cheesecake factory and i wanted to treat him and his girlfriend at the time to um to dinner and it was really nice and i think all three of us ordered salads because we were so just you know filled up on like tacos and salt and burgers and grease yeah yeah all that stuff and that con food man yeah well just uh they're they're finally opening they're they're finally opening up another salad and go near where i Mm. work and I'm looking forward to that. That's one of my, my favorite places to check out. So sounds really anyway, good. Um, other than that, I've been kind of doing what you do on a yeah. regular basis. I just been writing most of the day. <laughs> how, how, how's it feeling? <laughs> it's good. You know, I, I enjoy it. I like bouncing around between whatever happens to strike my fancy. I'm still at the, like the beginning of, yeah. of my project. And so I can kind of go a little bit crazy. Oh yeah, and everything's wide open. Wide everything's wide open. And so, you know, it's always easy to start a project. <laughs> Finishing a project is a completely different animal. Yes, <laughs> it sure is. And, and oh, I, I certainly got this have a cool lot more idea. <laughs> yeah. Six months in. Is it as yeah. cool? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Well, I mean, when you really put it under that microscope, it's it's difficult, but I'm determined to put some more things under column B. Column A being start project, column B being end project. Ah, uh, good. And not just end because I decided it was over. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it. it's interesting. I I forget if it was on the, um, on the Freakonomics podcast or they have a sister podcast called Question of the Day. And I haven't I haven't listened to their show in years, but I remember back when I was regularly listening to them, they had an episode where they basically um, 
tried to disabuse everyone of this kind of prevailing notion that is sort of adjacent to the sunk costs fallacy where it's like, oh, I've put so much time or so much energy or whatever into this thing. I shouldn't be a quitter. I should just see the thing out and that sort of thing. And they took the opposite line on it and they're like, be a quitter. (laughs) They're like, look at what you're doing. And if it seems like it's not going to take you to the place that you need it to go, or if it's not fulfilling the need that it was supposed to, or if you just Mm -hmm. realize that it's not what you wanted, cut your losses, stop and go do something else. Um, sure. And you know, sure. Yeah, We do need to be aware of, of, of the sunk cost fallacy. It's something mm. that I think we, we all experience. I mean, I remember back when I was like addicted to world of Warcraft, right. Oh, and, yeah. and just thinking now I'll, I'll never, I can't quit this game. I've put too much into it. Yep. And, and that seems silly now, right. Yeah. I look back and I, you know, I haven't played it in years. I haven't looked at it in forever. And, and every now and then I see the ad on Facebook and I just mm-hmm. go, man, I, can't believe that was like my life for a while. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, no stuff like that'll, will pull you in. I mean, heck, just, uh, just recently I've been looking into, uh, Foundry virtual tabletop. And, you know, as a lot of folks know, we typically have been using Roll 20 for ages. And, yeah. uh, you know, we both have, you know, put some money into, uh, into different assets and packages and things like that. And definitely spent a pretty penny there. Yeah, there you go. And the idea of switching to a new platform can definitely give you that, uh, sunk cost kind of feeling. Although, um, as I've been looking into foundry, I did, uh, learn that there is a Patreon out there where this guy has basically made a tool that can <clears throat> that can convert your all your roll 20 stuff over to foundry so you get it for like backing his uh his patreon for like five bucks um so i'm trying to i picked it up and i'm playing with it a little bit to see kind of how it works um but it's neat to know that there may be an option to kind of basically save you on that stuff where it's like you you don't actually lose all that stuff and it gives you more freedom to kind of choose the platform that feels better to to you whoever you may be um yeah but yeah it's it's easy to get neck deep into you know how much you spend on a person on a uh on yeah. a certain aspect I, I, of the I hobby don't think I don't think that's been my biggest problem, though. I think my biggest problem has been, in fact, not finishing projects. Like, mm. I think maybe at least once you should just try to finish a thing, right? Oh, sure. And just to go through that process, you know, and, and we don't want to talk on the extreme sides of the fence, but both things can be true. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, something to think about, I, I, I suppose. Yeah, I think. But I've been having fun writing and I've been having fun doing some relaxing. I'm not going to lie. You know, I've definitely have, Good. have gotten some of my TV and, and video game time in. I've been playing a lot of Pathfinder Kingmaker. Nice. Um, which has reminded me why I prefer 5e <laughs> over <laughs> Pathfinder. And um, Kingmaker is uh, using the first dead rule set, isn't it? 
Yeah, first ed. Yeah, it's not second edition Pathfinder. Right. Um. Yeah. I and I know this is going to be a very unpopular opinion, but I even prefer four e to Pathfinder. Oh, we're going to get hate. I know. Now. We just like lost everyone They're right like, there. But bye, bye. <laughs> no, four e did some cool stuff for sure. But un- unpopular opinion. Um, the system is not going to make you a good or better GM. Hmm. My opinion is you're either willing to become better at this as a hobby or not. And that could be true if whatever edition or platform you're using. That's true. That's you know, true. It, like even when it comes to like the Roll20 and Foundry stuff, and I've been thinking about peeking at Tailspire because I do like pretty graphics. Oh, yeah. Tailspire is beautiful looking. It, it's really cool, you know. But at the same time, it's like I've also been on this kick where I've been using like paper and pen. Oh, yeah. And going back to like really old school and even playing without maps or just oh, you know breaking it. out the grid and, and, and drawing with the wet erase marker mm-hmm. and feeling like that's been more than perfectly adequate, you know, yeah. I, and I've I've had a really fun time with the sort of less is more aspect mm-hmm. and and really trying to dial back the amount of brush strokes made in a single painting. Right. So mm. to speak. Yeah. You know, like how do, how do I make this design more elegant? How do I make the process more fun for me while still providing a meaningful and fulfilling experience to those that are playing? Yeah, that's, that's so, really good. I mean that, and that's, that's exactly what the, what the GM's job should be, right? Do, do the best you can with yeah. what you got and try to trim the fat where you can and yes get as lean and mean as you as you can and just be efficient and make your own job easier while still being able to deliver the quality uh well this this is something you were telling me the other night which was that you're not sure if you're focusing on the right thing yeah you know like you you can hyper focus on a little detail Mm -hmm. and then maybe it's not that much of the session whereas i almost had the opposite situation where I had spent this time to build this large map for you guys. And then you guys stared at a wall for like half an hour, you know? Yeah. And I, and we did I was do that. just like, <laughs> man, I didn't even put, I didn't even really put that much thought into it. Although there was the, um, the vote of confidence there that, that I'll be grateful for, which was that you guys believe that there may be more to something than I had originally intended. Well, um, now I'm disabused of that notion, so we're going to blow <laughs> right by everything next time. Yeah, there ain't nothing here. Don't worry yeah, about it. There were one or two points where I'm like, oh, cool, they noticed that. There were another couple of points where I was like, okay, maybe they could move on now. Well, uh, and there were a couple of other points where I was like, you know, I didn't plan for there to be a thing here. But now that they mention it, <laughs> let's go ahead and embellish a little bit. So there was, there was a definitely a mixed bag. You know, I... And I, I feel like this might actually lead a little bit into our, well, I guess topics tonight, but, um, I, I feel like within, within the past several sessions that you've run, you very Mm -hmm. quickly trained me, uh, on using the, the real life perception check. You're like, That's I'm right. making yeah. these maps. 
please look around and look for like, please look at them, <laughs> look for hidden details because there are hidden details to notice because yes, in the past, you know, we've used maps and things, but no one's ever explicitly stated like, Hey, you know, if you see like weird little hidden things or whatever, like, like look for that stuff because they are actual things. Instead of like, oh, I'm just using the stock map that someone made. And just because it's, you know, the best approximation I could find of whatever it is I was imagining. So it's interesting to now be in that headspace where I'm like, okay, when I see a new map come up immediately, the first thing I do is I start panning around and I'm like, looking around to see if I see little things peeking out here and there. And I, I haven't been missing many recently. So, um, no, you've been, you've been really good. And I think most of you guys have been into that. There's also definitely a player type in there that, yeah, that wants to deal with that and others that don't. Uh, but I have enjoyed putting in little Easter eggs, little hints, little warning signs. I do like to, especially when it comes to traps and and problems to, Mm. um, you know, give hints that like visual indicators, that's especially good for traps. It's re- that's yeah. really, really good. I'm, I'm not typically a big fan of the invisible space trap. And by mm. that, I mean, there's, there's no reason why this spot is different than another spot, but you stepped on it. So the trap goes off. Right. I, without there being some sort of hint that that kind of thing exists in here. So keep an eye out. Right. right. Something like that. Where like, no, they meant for this tomb to be unfair. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, right. And now now at least you have like fair warning that these are some of the things that might be happening because you you bring up a good point that we can train our players, right? Yeah. And sometimes we, we train them in one direction because we're currently interested in pursuing a certain train of thought or gameplay style mm. or giving you a certain kind of of level navigation experience, but in the next session, we may not desire that same experience. Right. And then we'll go, well, why are they paying so much attention to this small thing? Well, because maybe you told them to do that. Right. Maybe not in, maybe not in so many words or maybe not in any words at all. Um, and you know, I think, I think that that actually does kind of, uh, lead us into, uh, our first, little topic um that you had mentioned to me um why don't you introduce it well what i wanted to do is kind of have a mailbag episode and to you know get community questions and and just address them and instead of spending a ton of time on one or two topics to really kind of sink our teeth in well to sink our teeth in a little less and to kind of quick fire some of these things so we don't have a ton of questions but let's let's go in yeah so the first one uh, comes from our patron Falangor, mm. who who asked about murder hobos. <laughs> yeah, uh, because you know, real quick, like the murder hobo, it, it, you know, maybe you can add to this definition a little bit. It's a big trope uh, for sure. Well, the, the exact question is, how do you deal with murder hobos, or better, convert them into true role players? Oh, I was gonna say kill them, but I guess that doesn't. <laughs> really help with the second part yeah so that really has to do with expectations that we've talked about before and and what 
Yeah. I was thinking about, I was thinking about <laughs> it a little bit on, uh, on the way home, uh, from picking up food tonight. And I was like, mm-hmm. it all, it all comes down to expectations, setting those expectations. It does. But I also, you know, was, um, well, I, th- I thought about m- the game I had with my students and, you know, we wrapped that campaign up. We finished it. Mm. And which was a wonderful experience. I, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm so I've glad only finished that went well. a handful of campaigns. I've probably finished maybe eight to 10 campaigns ever. I feel which, like that's a lot compared to a lot of folks like, yeah, maybe, but I've been doing it a long time, you know? And, and so it was nice that this campaign wasn't super long. You know, we had probably been playing it for three or four months. Feels like you guys and, got through it pretty quick. And we, yeah, we, they ended, they would have hit level eight at the end, but it doesn't matter because, um, it, you know, the campaign's over, but in case right. we do end up continuing it, we can, but the main thing was, is most of these guys had no experience with D and D or had very little. Mm. And so I got to define what D and D was for them. Interesting. Well, I think sometimes, uh, we train players to have a different expectation when it comes to this game. When you yep. tell people you can do anything you want in this game. Yeah. I think that that's a trap. It makes you sound like you're very progressive and cool and open to ideas. But what it really means is I'm going to facilitate chaos. Mm. And I think that's where players start going around going, I'm going to, you know, murder the local townsfolk. I will do just going all to- the stuff that I wouldn't be allowed to do in other games. In real life. Maybe GTA. Right. Well, it is like kind of bringing GTA to a game, right? right? Like this. And, you know, when you're sitting down and you're playing Grand Theft Auto, that's fine because you're the only one affecting your own world. Yep. Also, the vast majority of NPCs don't matter. So it doesn't like make any difference what you do. You know, at, at worst, the cops come, they, you, you get wasted and then you uh, spend a couple thousand bucks and pop out of the hospital right as rain. Yeah. Or, you know, well. They they don't matter in a uh, in a gameplay uh, related way. I mean, because I guess an NPC like a rando street NPC in GTA really does matter just about as much as a rando street NPC in D&D. Like- I, I, I whoa, 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 whoa. I'm <laughs> I'm not with you on that one. Um, I, well, I mean, it it depends, right? Because if you're, you know, if you're in that kind of campaign, then yeah, maybe it doesn't. Well, I'm I I was only like halfway. the 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 second part of that is they're okay. similar in that they are basically an unknown quantity until you interact with them. So okay. like they're sure. they're this you know, just kind of amorphous and there's other people walking around and you can go impact those people and generally impacting with violence is the most obvious kind of straightforward thing to do. That's why first person shooters are so popular because shooting is a very intuitive way to extend your own impact onto Mm. the in-game world. Yeah. The where the difference comes in is how the game or in with uh, respect to D&D, the game master as well, 
how okay. how things react to you extending that uh, influence onto the NPC, right? Well, well, yeah, I think there's definitely something there. It is about impact. It is mm. about the idea that your choices matter, right? Right. Like if you if you and your party walk in and you go, bartender, give me a room, and he goes, ten gold, mm. and the and then you go. 10 gold that's highway robbery and he goes take it or leave it and you go i don't like his face so i cast eldritch blast at him mm-hmm. you know and then he dies right or whatever right you know all of a sudden that is now the campaign mm. right like we have a couple of options we can either go okay guys this is not going to be the tone of this game mm. we are going to start over we're going to do that scene again mm. or you can teach your players in a different way right now the guards are coming and your group of level one adventurers is not going to beat the town guard, right? Your group of level one adventurers might not be able to beat the crowd of drunken commoners in the bar. Right. And that, you know, that's where the difference is now. Then we have like kind of the school of, of hard knocks. And now we're going to explore maybe how, you know, the warlock got to the point where they thought they could do that. Mm. Maybe we even kill the warlock, let that person re re-roll. But, you know, that player needs to be open to that experience. Right. Or they may decide that it's not for them. Yeah. And I think if you want to have a game that does not invite the the typical I don't even want to say murder hobo because there is something to like, listen, I want to run around and like kill monsters and sell their loot. Like that's fine. Well, the murder hobo is all about disruption. And like you said, like, right. That's that's the key word. Yeah. Like I want to disrupt the game for my own amusement. When you play GTA, it's fine that you disrupt the game because it's your game. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to D and D you're sharing. Yep. Right. And you're doing the equivalent of a kid going, let's all build a sandcastle and then being the one that gets to kick it over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you go, aren't, aren't we having fun? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And everyone else is going, I'm not building sandcastles with that guy anymore. Right. Right. And it, it doesn't really change as we get older that people don't, you know, Everybody at that table might be into kicking over the castle, but they all want to kick over the castle. Yeah. And that's fine. If that's the game you want to run, that's the game you want to run. Right. But if you guys want to build a castle, then come over to this section of the yard and this metaphor is getting out of hand. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, come play over here. Yeah. And if you want to kick over the castle, you're not invited. Right. So we can illustrate that and they can decide to continue or they can leave. Yeah. I I think setting those expectations is it's so important. And I mean, you know, setting expectations applies to so many things like when you're sitting down at a table, having someone say, "Okay, this is what we're trying to do and having everybody go, "Okay, I'm on board with that. That's is so helpful. Um but, you know, yeah. So, I mean, the, the best thing is to be able to prevent it in the first place by setting those expectations yes. and being specific about what it is you mean to convey and express right. through your story. Don't, you know, avoid phrases like you get to do whatever you want. Right. You know, like that sounds nice. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Right. What you want to do is say something like, here is what I specifically want to achieve. 
you and get to be a heroic kind of adventurer trying to, you know, save the world or something like that. That's right. Set and the then, you know, maybe one of your players is like, can I play chaotic evil? And you need to be upfront about whether or not that's okay. And maybe having a conversation about what that player thinks that alignment means mm-hmm. and how you, well, okay, tell me how you could be chaotic evil and still, you know, be a cooperative member of the party. Right. Well, my character would be chaotic evil, so he wouldn't be cooperative. It's like, okay, then I'm going to ask you to do something different. Right. But they could say something like, you know, my, my character has, you know, intentions to do, uh, he, he's going to do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. Mm. Right. It's all part of his greater scheme to, to sow greater chaos, you know, or to get revenge on this particular person. Right. He's playing ball to achieve his own ends, but he really has this, these background motivations. Like maybe I'm getting a little bit off topic now, but it's, it is a thing where, where that's workable. Mm -hmm. But if you can solve that day one, great. And if you forgot or we're past day one and the, and yeah, someone killed the innkeeper, Mm. then at least now you have one strategy to be able to deal with it, which is follow up with natural consequence. Right. Yeah. You know, experience is the great teacher and you know even even very small children very quickly learn okay if if a then b if you give a mouse a cookie then he'll ask for a glass of milk right the great book of consequences that's right and it's um (laughs) it's it's really great you know video games and games in general are built on the if then principle. I do blank, then blank happens, then blank happens, and so on and so on. That's right. Well, video games are, of course, lighter in that because, you know, you can't. They've got to be. Yeah, you just can't have endless branches that cause endless branches. You know, the, I've talked about it before, but the game you guys are in now would look totally different if you had made different decisions up front mm. because you decided what you wanted your focus to be on. Correct. And I, and I designed based on that. Well, a video game can't do that. Right. So a lot of times our decisions yeah. do end up feeling kind of as- isolated. Right. Even when it comes to games that are built on that idea, like, you know, anything written by telltale yep. or like we talked about the life and suffering of Sir Brandt or the council. Mm-hmm. A lot of these games, um, you know, have that sort of illusion of choice, but it's pretty shallow when, when you get, when you get to it. Right. Um, yeah, I totally agree. You know, I, I did have one note regarding this coming from the other angle of the, um, you know, say you're in a game and you've got a murder hobo or a disruptive player, somebody who's kind of going a wall doing their own thing um because i i was actually chatting with someone on discord uh i want to say last week and they've got a kind of a problem player who's playing this kind of selfish character um who you know they're they're doing the typical kind of thing you'd expect like you know physically threatening npcs that the rest of the party is trying to deal with or you know, just causing problems like that or doing crazy things because they think it'll be funny. Um, yeah. And 
this is not to diminish the fact that doing that sort of stuff is it's a jerk thing to do. Don't do it. There's not a good excuse for it. But I think there are reasons. And I think a clever GM can look at a player that's doing that sort of stuff and go, okay, let's step back from what they actually did and Mm. take a broader look and go, okay, what do I know of this player, the person who is playing the character? And what are the choices that they're making? What is that telling me about how they are interacting with the game? Like if they are constantly trying to do stuff to be funny, maybe they're feeling a need for levity or for some, for some, you know, happy, you know, goofy fun or something like that. Maybe they're approaching it the wrong way, but their misbehavior might actually be kind of a sort of subtle clue as to, oh, Maybe this player has certain needs with regard to the game that actually aren't being met. And maybe they don't know how to verbalize it or hadn't thought to try to verbalize it. Maybe if they're trying to get a bunch of attention. Yeah. Yeah, that is possible. But I'm also not your therapist, right? You know, so and I and I'm I'm happy to work with you if you're able to be worked with, right. Yes. And, and that sort of thing. And, and certainly the answer to most of our questions out there could be talk to your players, talk to your right? players. Yeah. It, it's, it's like you dealing with any kind of relationship, have a, have an adult conversation. Yeah. Uh, try not to get too upset. Right. Yeah. You don't sit down and talk about what you want and, uh, and how you're feeling. And I think that we could solve a lot of problems that way. Yeah. But it may be a, a thing where they go, it's just a game. Yep. And, <laughs> at that point uh maybe we don't want the same if, thing if i hear that or if i hear well it's what my character would do i my head just explodes yeah it might be <laughs> oh all right well listen this is a little bit i'm not you're not wrong it is a game but to say it's just a game i think is Dim- is it, missing it diminishes the, the potential it. of yeah. it yeah it diminishes it and it, and it diminishes the experience that other people are trying to have. Right. You know, if we're all sitting around playing Monopoly and someone flips the board over and they say it's just a game, I don't think anyone would accept that as an excuse. Right. It's, you know, we all came, we sat down, you know, there's the social contract, right? You know, you're, you're coming to the table with a, at least an unspoken agreement that we're all here to have fun. We're all here to play this game together. And if you thought otherwise, you got the wrong idea. (laughs) And maybe that's a good illustration to offer the murder hobo is to say you've just flipped over the monopoly board. And that's how it that's how it feels to me. Yeah. Particularly for the GM who puts tremendously more work into the game than players typically do. Right. Um, At least if they're they're doing it right. You know. Yeah. Okay. let's let's move on. Sure. Because we did want to cover a couple of things. So. The second part has to do, uh, well, it's a question from uh, Kate, our other patron, who asked, didn't really word it as a question, just wrote creating potions, Ah. alchemy slash herbalists. 
So I think that you might have something to say on that part. <laughs> yeah, we. Oh, boy. Um, OK, at the risk of this sounding like a plug. Well, it's fine. Well, kind of. Um, Nord has made a, uh, a book called The Ultimate Guide to Alchemy, Crafting and Enchanting, um, basically to address this very thing. Um, one one really tricky thing that that I really kind of came to grips with when making this book and working on this project. And to be clear, it was not just me working on the project. But while I was involved and in trying to pin all this down and see how we could approach this, part of it involved looking at 5e itself and going, okay, how do they approach the idea of crafting and players being able to make their own stuff and everything? And the bottom line is that the system itself, at its core, doesn't really want you to be making your own stuff, to be, you know, taking the magic items that you see in the back of the DMG and stuff like that and and actually piecing together components and boom, you've got a health potion, you've got oil well, sharpness or whatever. To be clear, there are rules about item creation yes. in the DMG and in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Correct. Um, that does exist. They don't get down to the nitty. Well, it, it comes down largely to uh, spending gold and time. Right. Um, if you spend a certain amount of gold and a certain amount of time, uh, then you're able to create the item. And that's fine. They don't get into like what you might expect from a video game crafting system. Right. Where you need three rose petals in two pieces of wormwood. Right. And then uh, six fairy dust and then the uh, Ooga Booga healing potion. Right. Right. Like that's not what happens. Yeah. But it does make notes that it is a good opportunity to create like a quest or like to yes. get maybe find a single component. Like I would you can make this thing, but you must go to this hill that is guarded by the troll and then you must retrieve the herb. Right. And that's a fun story way to kind of fit that in. Right. And and when I say that 5e doesn't really want you crafting stuff, all I'm all I'm really saying is that crafting in 5e as a system is is and I I don't want to say this badly, but it's it feels like an afterthought because it because it's so basic it does well it's not the central focus of the game the central right. focus of the game is dungeons and dragons right. you, we're we're going to explore we're going to fight things it wasn't it wasn't built with ever having the intent of a deeply customizable crafting system in mind they never planned on allowing for deep nitty gritty kind of crafting um which is why creating a third party product to allow for that sort of thing and to be able to get deeper was difficult because the what's available in the core system especially in the SRD is obviously pretty limited um 
So what we put in uh, in our book was, you know, we've got um, recipes for all these different kinds of items that you can make. And within that uh, that recipe, it'll tell you what tools you need. You have to make an ability check to try to do it. There's the little description and it'll require up to three major like important ingredients. And then those ingredients can generally come in a, in a variety of grades. So you can get the really low quality version of a type of plant or really high quality version of the plant, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and then to- when, it, when it came to your plants, did you guys make up new plants or did you look up things that were real that had, you know, at least implied properties? Um, I think that that was a portion of the book that I didn't do. But I mm. think that what we wound up doing is mainly making stuff up. But we also said um, that, you know, you can you can assume uh, that certain types of things like oak wood is a high grade uh, wood. But if you go to like um, like an orange tree, that's like low quality wood or something like that. So we did use actual things in here like uh, like wheat or flax or, um, you know, actual. So I'll say this, like if you are going to be making uh, your own setting, it's actually a good opportunity to be able to like make up new things if you'd like to. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you need to. There's there's it, so many resources out there. It, it's like, yeah, I think alchemy and you, what you said, it's the ultimate guide to enchanting and, uh, and alchemy. The ultimate, the ultimate guide to alchemy, crafting and enchanting. OK, so that's that's pretty good. But if you didn't want to to go that far, you know, I think it just depends on on how much detail you want to put into yes. like alchemy and crafting. If your character is very interested in that, then, you know. And your GM wants to facilitate that or you as a GM would like to offer that, you know, I would say err on the side of simplicity. If you can, Always. I've definitely experimented with a lot of systems in the past. And usually my problem is overcomplication. It's an easy um, thing to fall into. It's an easy thing to fall into. And I and I often do it. And what I do like about what the DMG and Xanathar's offers is the fact that it's just golden time is actually kind of a feature, mm -hmm. but I would add in probably something. What, what I did for my current game is I made these uh, components available as like extra loot you could gather or or stuff that you could spend time gathering mm. and they would essentially cut the price and time down. Yep. And so they became these little for the lack of a better term, a coupon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that was fine. And, you know, most of my players were like, just not that into it. We were also at the point in the game where getting like a potion wasn't as big a deal anymore. Yeah. And so people were kind of ready to move on. And I think that's the other thing to, to keep in mind is if you do want it to stay relevant, you definitely have to make them, them powerful. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say, 
try to do what's interesting. If you, if you're watching like a film and somebody has to make something, usually there's a quest to gather like an ingredient. Yep. And so you make the player essentially earn it. And instead of having it be like the random loot drop, they essentially go through more steps to achieve the same end. Right. Right. You can, you can go to the dungeon, you can beat up the, the local cultist bad guy and you can open the chest and maybe there's a plus two sword in there. Right. Or you could beat him up, get the piece of ore that he was stockpiling, take it to the local Smith shop, use your blacksmith's tools and then get a plus two sword. Mm -hmm. In either case, you beat the guy and you got a plus two sword. Right. Right. And so it kind of plays into that illusion of choice a little bit, you know, like, okay, you want to add this? All right, cool. Then I'm just going to do whatever I was going to do before. But now I'm going to tell you there's a flower at the end of the rainbow. Mm -hmm. And if you go and grab it and bring it home, then I'll give you an item you want. Right. Yeah. I think, I think the other part of it too is you only want to, to include crafting of any type um in your game if there's a call for it if you have Mm, a player or players who are interested in it and yeah if you do have those players who are interested in being able to make a thing whatever that thing is see if Mm -hmm. you can find out what aspect of making the thing they're really interested in because it's also possible that the person who wants to do the crafting might not actually be as uh, as enthusiastic about the end result item and might instead be looking for the chance to feel like they are engaging in the process to feel mm, like yeah. they're in the like they're in the breaking bad meth creation montage, you know, <laughs> where it's, it's, okay. it's fun to make a thing and to feel like your character is like really smart or very proficient oh, sure. going through this yeah. cool, deep process. But like you would say, you also don't want it to eat up a bunch of time at the table. So it could also be something that you handle on the side or um, in bits and pieces during the game. Um, Usually it'll happen during downtime, uh, whether that's doing a little bit during a short rest or having like a month of downtime between milestones or whatever. Um, But yeah, I definitely prefer the second method that that you mentioned there. I like having the downtime episode. I think players also really like it, especially after something particularly action-packed or brutal. Right. Um, They definitely like to have that breather episode, and that's a good opportunity. Like, you know, if you kill a big monster, have them drop, like, a piece of bone or, or like, a, you know, a venom sack or, you know, an eyeball, you know, a tooth, a claw, you know, something like that. And then they can take it home, and they maybe they can make something out of it. Name a monster. Off top of your head. Uh, how about a Grick? A Grick. Oh, the freaking Grick. So. A freaking Grick. F- so Gricks have tentacles. The freaking Grick. They've got. So in here, the the Grick yeah. uh, can provide, since it's a CR2, um, the uh-huh. grade of ingredient you're getting from it is uh, low and you can get hide from it. 
that's that's the available ingredient that we have on the list because it's such a a low tier uh enemy okay you can basically get skin is there any way it can provide camouflage because that that seems like a missed opportunity uh you know like their main ability is that they get to blend in with stone around them right so having the ability to to kill <laughs> now mind you you'd have to kill a lot of grex sure <laughs> unless you unless you got a hold of an alpha then maybe you made be easier right but to be able to make a cloak that just you know you know uh, doubles your proficiency on on stealth checks when you're you know next to stone seems like a pretty minor buff that would feel fine oh sure right that that, that would feel pretty good that's that's uh that part of things would be within the uh whatever the magic item is that you're using it for but we've got an appendix in the book called the harvester's handbook which basically mm-hmm. just gives you an idea of the general category of ingredient or ingredients that you could expect to get from a given creature like a half red dragon veteran cr5 It'll give you medium grade ingredients. Harvesting these ingredients is a DC 15 check and you can get bone elemental source and hide from this half red dragon veteran. Um, yep. The harpy on the other hand is a CR one. The ingredients are low grade. It's a DC 10 check instead of 15. It's easier to harvest and you, and the main ingredient you can get is feathers. Um, so this appendix gives you a nice little idea of uh, keeping it simple enough where it's not like, oh, you're getting this specific organ or whatever. They're just like, if you take down a harpy, chances are the the main ingredient you'll pull from a harpy are its harpy feathers. Those are kind of its special. What thing. about the appendix? Is there a harpy appendix in the appendix? Let's move on to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the next question. But yes, Kate, I I would say, and I don't want this to sound like a sales pitch, but um, but also check <laughs> check out the uh, ultimate guide to alchemy crafting and enchanting. Um, I think we may even have like a free preview on uh, on Nord's website, uh, NordGamesLLC.com, um, and we we do typically have free preview uh pdfs for most of our books not just this one so if any of you are interested in checking out other stuff um there's a lot of cool free resources but yes let's move on and um if we need to we can address this topic again in more detail later yeah i mean and plus uh, of course kate you're in the uh discord so just hit us up um and we will respond to you and of course same with falangor and with spike's question uh well it's not so much a question again but more of a request (laughs) uh which is basically to read a part of the dmg that we are not as familiar with and to talk about it pretty much cold Ooh. so all right um i did do a brief look at this before because i'm working on kind of an eastern setting Mm. And I I thought a lot about honor Mm. and I think I'm going to include this rule, though I might build on it a bit. Uh, This is on page 264 of the Dungeon Master's Guide under chapter nine, which is 
called the Dungeon Master's Workshop. And it's actually a, a pretty great chapter. And it's got a lot of little optional rules to explore. Mm. And maybe we could go over some more of them later, but they're, they're pretty fascinating. Mm. But anyway, it talks about new ability scores, honor and sanity. Mm. So it, that's the way it treats honor and sanity as a, as a seventh ability score, right? Or I guess huh. eight, if you were to, for whatever reason, use both of them. Um, that would be a, a pretty interesting, like, Lovecraftian, you know, samurai fleck. Um, maybe that could be interesting, but uh, let's, you know, just start with honor. It says, if you're running a campaign shaped by a strict code of honor or the constant risk of insanity, consider adding one or both of these new ability scores. Honor insanity, these abilities function like the standard six abilities with exceptions specified in each ability below. And then it talks about how to incorporate them based on how you roll ability scores. So if you do the array, it says just add 11 somewhere to the array. Mm. And if you're doing point by, then add three points to the, number of, to the number of points for each optional ability you add. So if you're just adding honor, then three more points. So that would be uh, oh, 30 total build points. If you do both, then you're adding six. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. If, you're, if players roll their ability scores, have them roll for the added ability scores. Like that one's the most obvious, right? right. Just roll again. Yep. If you ever need to make a check for saving throw, for honor or sanity for a monster that lacks the score, you can use charisma for honor and wisdom for sanity. Okay. So there you go. So honor score. If your campaign involves cultures where a rigid code of honor is part of daily life, consider using the honor score as a means of measuring a character's devotion to that code. Mm. Okay. So far, so good. This ability fits, fits well in a setting inspired by Asian cultures, such as Karatur in the Forgotten Realms. That's one of the many forgot, truly forgotten realms, right? right? Because it's not in the north or by the sword coast or both. Mm -hmm. Okay. The honor ability is also useful in any campaign that revolves around orders of knights, mm. which I thought yeah, maybe sure. you would find more interesting. Oh, absolutely. You know, you're, you're kind of a, a knight guy. Yeah. Right. You could say uh, that. honor, <laughs> honor measures, not only a character's devotion to a code, but also the character's understanding of it. The honor code mm. or the honor score can also reflect how others perceive a character's honor, which is the part that's more interesting to me. Uh, a character with a high honor usually has a reputation that others know about, especially those who have high honor scores themselves. Mm. Okay, so here's where it's a little bit different. Okay. Unlike other abilities, honor can't be raised with normal ability score increases. Okay, which oh. is actually a nice limitation because you don't want to feel obligated to put it there, right? So instead, you can award increases to honor or impose reductions uh, based on a character's actions. At the end of an adventure, if you think a character's actions in the adventure reflected well or poorly on his or her understanding of the code, you can increase or decrease the character's honor by one. As with other ability scores, a character's honor can't exceed 20 or fall below one. Now, that gives me one concern. Um, I feel like that. That little mechanic right there could get into kind of the same neighborhood as having alignment arguments like, oh, sure. Yeah. You know, like back in the day, I used to hear I used to hear about this kind of thing a lot more. I don't so much 
recently. I mean, heck, you were there for when I had an alignment oh, argument. Yes, I mean, that that's exactly know. true. So that sort of thing, yeah. like, well, I don't think it conflicted with my honor code. And then, you know, you basically get into yeah. this so big thing. One thing I learned from that experience was that I feel like you should basically tell the player what the consequences of the action are going to be before that action is resolved. Mm. And it's more interesting to present your player with a dichotomy between doing what's good for them as an individual or for that individual person Mm. versus what is good for the code or for society, Mm. you know, because that's a very real concern. You know, if I, if I save the thief and they escape punishment that is lawfully due to them Mm. that is not honorable however this person is uh sympathetic maybe they uh you know had to steal in order to help their sick mom or whatever gotta eat to live you gotta steal to eat that's right you know tell you more about it when we've got the time (laughs) when we got the time (laughs) so there you go um i think that that's interesting in in the case where i had my argument i had made my decision based on essentially a frivolous will and it and i think it took the the gm back a little bit and then the the consequences of that ended up being greater than a simple uh plus one minus one oh it was totally i was playing a big deal i was playing a paladin and i lost my oath features yeah it was you know it was dead serious and i ended up not getting any oath features for a while so it was a thing that was a big problem at the time, but I think we resolved it and we, we definitely got past it. And I think I learned a lot from the experience. Mm. So that much I will say. That's very cool. Yeah. But so I think that one thing that is an inherent bonus here is that the consequences aren't very high, um, mm. which is maybe good and bad, right? Because you also don't want it to feel like it doesn't matter. Right. Okay. And then, also, it says you can raise or lower it by one. I do feel like there should be um, a thing where more can be at stake. But again, I, I would say that I would say it up front. If yes. you do option A, you will lose honor. And if you do option B, you will gain honor, but you'll lose this. And what do we call that? Setting expectations. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, in a way, you peel back the curtain a little bit, but I think it's a good way to to avoid arguments. And and that is very much worth doing. <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah, nobody likes that. You, argument. of course, are going to use honor as a check as well. So honor checks could be used in uh, social situations, much as charisma would. And what I like about that is that it gives your character ethos because, you know, you, use, you, you have logos, pathos and ethos, right? And charisma is like pathos, your ability to essentially win someone over emotionally. Mm. Uh, uh, intelligence is like um, logos, right? Mm. But like ethos, I guess you could say it was wisdom. And you could certainly use wisdom, I think, in the place of this, even though the book says to use charisma. I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. But I think that having this sense of reputation that others can sort of feel yeah. and measure is, is interesting. It allows our stoic fighter to win in social situations. That's interesting. And to, you know, it, it makes me think of George Washington actually, because mm. <laughs> I'm a big nerd. Right. So like during, uh, like the whiskey rebellion, right. They, they're, 
they're basically, you know, starting a big ruckus and George Washington rides up and they all just go home because it's George Washington. Mm, you know, that's and they're just really like, cool. all right, well, I guess I guess we're done, you know. So, you know, the, the opposite of what would happen to <laughs> a current president of any kind, oh, right? Boy. In the last couple of decades. Right. Um, so anyway, just that having that sense of of just like quiet dignity in your character, I think is really interesting. And it could be really wonderful for that uh samurai or knight. Yeah. Which in many ways is the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the the main difference is geographic, you know. Yeah. U- ultimately you've got this at least, you know, there's the uh the deconstructed George R. R. Martin grimdark sort of interpretation of the night that is, you know, they're just, you know, super brutal people. And, you know, a lot of them have no redeeming qualities. They were never all that good. But then you've got, and that's interesting, the ideal of the night, the chivalric code and all that stuff. And the samurai having their code of honor, um, they're, I and they had both types too. Right. They had the the ride in on the white horse and and defend the people and also the my privilege gives me the right to abuse all of you. Right. You know, and both things existed and I think that those are uh interesting concepts to play with. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So you might also call for honor check when a character is in one of the following situations, being unsure of how to act with honor. So you can roll a check to see if you know. Um, this is also a, a nice way to help prevent that argument, right? Mm. Surrendering while trying to save face, determining uh, to, or trying to determine another character's honor score, uh, trying to use the proper etiquette in a delicate social situation, using uh, his or her honorable or dishonorable reputation to influence someone else. So that's interesting. You can use that dishonorable reputation. You can use the negative modifier in order to, Oh, you know, you think I won't do like, it. You think I won't do it? I'll freaking do it. Try me. And then the guy's like, uh, that's um, that's Gregor Clegane, dude. He will do he it. He will and, do it. And they're like, wait, that's that's the mountain? Yeah, it is. Like, didn't you see him? And he'll make you like, eat oh, a well, rat live. Now that you mention it. Yeah. Um, you know, that you would you would think twice if you knew that psycho was in the room with oh, you. Oh, sure. Right. Cause he I mean, which you, you wouldn't know. miss because he's also huge, but but it can be an unknown quantity or it can be um, a known quantity where it's like, you know, on the one hand, it might be, God, I don't know what this person will do. Or the flip side, I know exactly what this person will do, depending on yeah, what their so honor score is. That That is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So, you know, this is a discussion we often have about like, uh, should intimidate be based on strength instead? You know, it's like, well, this is another. Um, avenue that might be good mm-hmm. you know just what have you done yep you know it's like it's like your reputation and i think that that's fascinating yeah and if you start with it you know particularly high honor then it gives you this sense that your character starts at a certain point and it can be really interesting to watch them lose a lot of points oh yeah throughout the course of the adventure or to start low and to, and to go high at the end i think those are are both great potentials yeah i agree uh, there's also honor saving throws um, mm. An honor saving throw comes into play when you want to determine whether a character might inadvertently do something dishonorable. You might call for an honor saving throw in the following situations. 
avoiding an accidental breach of honor or etiquette. So that might prevent the problem that you're talking about, right? Mm. The you as a GM might say, well, okay, before you do that, I want you to make an honor saving throw. Oh, and if you make it, then you become aware of the potential repercussions. Correct. Uh, Okay. Right. And if you're not aware, then maybe, maybe I go easy on you a little bit for not understanding honor. Sure. Resisting the urge to respond to goading or insults from an enemy. So that's good. They were recognizing when an enemy attempts to trick a character into a breach of honor. I feel like a lot of these kind of, uh, kind of require a certain, uh, maybe slightly different, uh, or maybe greater degree of player buy-in on this too, where like um, the idea of their character potentially being faced with the idea of them accidentally having a breach of honor and stuff like that. Like, I feel like in order for these things to function properly, the players really have to understand what can theoretically happen with this kind of like you were saying before with you know the the honor saving throws of you know do do i really understand what can potentially happen to me to you know the surrounding environment yada 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 because of the use of the honor system or lack thereof one thing I, I like about this is that the real punishment seems to come in to being uh, indecisive. Mm. Like if you act consistently dishonorably, it seems better than sometimes, right? Because your check could be like a negative four, which could help you, which could be like a positive when trying to like freak someone out or get what you want, like essentially intimidate people. Yeah, you're, you're getting Paragon points or Renegade points. Or renegade points. But if you're if your character is kind of a fence sitter, that's actually the worst position to be in. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> then your character is like treated like garbage because they don't act with integrity either way. Mm. They're only honorable when it's convenient. Well, and it it also makes me wonder, like, what if you just come from a culture where honor isn't really just that big of a deal it doesn't necessarily mean that they are dishonorable or lacking integrity Um, well the nice thing there is that you know your character can largely ignore this i think in the point buy system is is it like eight or ten that costs you zero right i think it's ten costs zero points and uh if you go negative you actually get points back Mm. which is nice so you can essentially just opt out of the system entirely you know, it may come up in the in the DM's game, but your character can just shrug. Yeah. You know, or or rely more on like wisdom and charisma sure. to accomplish their ends. You know, they can still treat themselves like they have just a another dump stat if they would like to. Yeah. But if your character would like to use this or if it's important to the success of the game, you know, then then it's a good option. I think that it's available to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely very cool. Awesome. I dig it. Yeah. Yeah, so we're pretty much out of time, but sanity is is next, and it works in very sort of similar ways. Mm. Uh, but I think in the in the in terms of sanity, there's probably more of a 
you you lose <laughs> kind oh, of aspect yo, of course you, you know like where you just go crazy but uh, i didn't read it so maybe another time right and um along that same vein uh maybe we could even hit it next time i'm not sure but uh sure it might be worth talking about especially with van richten's having kind of came out by the way it was a pretty good book oh it's so cool there's so yeah. much good stuff and one of these days, I definitely want to talk about like what we like in these products mm-hmm. and what we what we hope to see more of, because definitely between like Van Richten's and Theros and Tasha's. Xanathar's and, and Tasha's and uh, even Eberron, I would say there's like a really ideal book in there. Right. Yeah. Or or a couple of things that that definitely I like to see. Yeah. Um, I've actually been largely really happy with most of the content to come out of fifth edition. Yeah, they've been doing um, a great job. Most of it doesn't feel like superfluous nonsense. Right. Like I feel like fifth ed does a good job of like kind of curating and making sure that what they release doesn't just feel like money grabs. Yep. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um <clears throat> 3.5. In uh <laughs> In Van Richten's, similar to the um, Honor and Sanity, there's a small uh, section that I really want to uh, take a look at maybe next time on fear and stress, where it addresses the fact that adventuring and some of the stuff that adventurers see while adventuring like some of the stuff that your party has seen in Barovia. Yeah. Um, And it takes those things and the characters will actually get clearly stated fears. And then when they interact with those fears, like if a situation comes up and the object of their fear is there, how they choose to interact with that is worked into this little mini system and it it's also akin to kind of how the base system says to use inspiration where it's like you know if you play against what's maybe optimal in the moment and instead go well my my character is really scared of this thing so he's not gonna do the smart thing he's gonna freaking run or you know maybe an example they give here is like if a if a character is claustrophobic or uh, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, if you're afraid of tight spaces, um, but you're in a situation where the place you have to get to in order to get there, you have to like squeeze through this really narrow passage and the character would go, heck no, I'm not going in there. So like maybe they take extra time to try to widen the opening or maybe they decide to take the long way around because they are not going to be caught dead in that, you know, little crawl space. Um, They mention uh, ways of rewarding or responding to how the character interacts with the things that they're afraid of and then stress is really cool in how it um it accounts for the the well let let's maybe get into that more detail another time you know like give it its own episode yeah um um but i'm glad you're excited about it and uh i i I like that kind of thing yeah so that's good all right well oh that was a fun episode i liked doing the uh the smaller 
topics. And thank you to yeah. uh, Fallon Gore, Kate, and Spike for your uh, your suggestions and your input. We love it and we appreciate it um, just as much as we love and appreciate all of you, um, as well as Logan. So maybe next time you could get one of your questions on here. Um, but if you would like to be as cool as those four people, you can head on over to patreon.com slash inspiration point and back us if you uh, want to help support the show. But for any of your inspiration point needs, you can just head on over to inspirationpoint.buzzsprout.com. That's our website. And if you are on a uh, PC or Mac or what have you, there will be a uh, little bubble in the upper right hand corner for Facebook, Twitter, and the Patreon. If you're on mobile, it'll be just right at the top of the page and it'll take you exactly where you need to go. So thank you everybody for listening and hanging out with us tonight. Hopefully you got a little bit of uh, useful information and until next time, stay inspired. Bye. Bye.